Elbert Hubbard said, a friend is one who knows you and loves you just the same. That's a friend, isn't it? How many friends do you have? Just think about that. How many friends do you have? After consulting several online sites, I came away with the average for American friendships. Americans on average have two to five friends. Two to five friends. I, I wanted to go deeper in that, though. I mean, what was their definition of the word friend in all of these sites, right? My research led me to understand that most sociologists define four levels of friendship. Some had six, but the majority had four. The most shallow friendship, as you might expect, is the acquaintance. I mean, we all have acquaintances. You may know their name. You may nod to them when you pass them on the street, but you don't know them. They're just an acquaintance, aren't they? The next level is a friend. This is someone that you are on good terms with. The third level is the good friend. They're, they're part of that inner circle of yours. Each and every one of us, we have good friends, don't we? And then there's the highest form, the close friend, the BFF, the bromance, if you're a guy. I mean, this is the guy, this is the girl that knows everything about you. They're a close friend. Others, our research may have added the mentor. The mentor is, is a level of friendship. You know, the mentor, you may be a mentor or you may have a mentor and they know a lot about you or you may know a lot about the one that you mentor, but they're not really uh, the, the close friend. In our society, some websites said that the online friend should be part of this hierarchy, shouldn't it? The online friend, you know, that's, that's the friend that you may have on Facebook. You, you know, you, you haven't seen them in forever, you know. They're not part of your inner circle, but they're not an acquaintance either. They're an online friend. A lot of you guys, you play, young men, you play Xbox. And if you play Xbox online, there's guys that, you know, my son, he has friends that he plays with in Ohio and Michigan and California and Japan. And he's never met these people before, but... They've become friends because they've played so much together online. So we have online friends as well. But now that you've heard the levels of, of friendships, now that you've heard the levels, you've heard them defined, how many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? What I found as I narrowed the field is that the average American has one to two BFFs. One to two really close friends. Do you love your friends? Those that you have? How about your acquaintances? Do you love them? Could we, should we, develop more friends? Should we have more friends? Does the Bible, does, does Jesus, does God want us to have friends? Does he want us to develop friendships? 
Do you have room for more? If you've got just one or two or, or three, do you have room for one more? Friend. If so, what should be our motive for friendship? Is it a Facebook motive just to see how many you can get? You know, there's some people who, who have that, you know, well, I've got, you know, 1,423, and it kind of looks bad to you when you've only got two on Facebook, you know? Some people just try to collect friends on Facebook. And that, should that be our motive? Just to see how many friends we can collect? Or should it go deeper than that? Should it go deeper? Should you be continually growing in your friendship? Is there a place that true friendship should start and be headed toward? Jesus said, and if you would turn in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen here, but turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Verses 13, 13 through 15, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you, Jesus said. Jesus defines the godly BFF. Friendship is defined here by Jesus. Jesus is telling us what it takes to be a good friend of His. And we can use these to be good friends with others. First and foremost, you have got to love. To be a friend, you've got to love. You've got to love someone to death. You've heard that statement before. Oh, I just love them to death. You've heard that before, haven't you? Well, Jesus loved you that much. He loved you to death. We've got to be that kind of friend and love each other to death. Verse 12, he, he commanded that the disciples love one another. And, that, and then he tells us how much. As much as I've loved you to death. Love each other to death. And if you love... Love each other to death. Verse 14, you are my friend, Jesus said. Verse 15, you see, they, we were servants, were slaves, and, and we must come to Jesus with humility, with that, with that servant mentality. But if we love him by obeying him, we are his friends. To be a good friend of Jesus means doing what he commanded only those who obey Jesus are Jesus' friends. James says in James chapter 2, verse 23, that Abraham was God's friend because he obeyed. That's the reason Abraham was God's friend. Good friends like Jesus, though they share their thoughts, they share their deepest secrets. That's what close friends do. And Jesus, he shared his thoughts. He shared his secrets. He shared the best that the Heavenly Father gave him with his friends and continues to do so through God's Word. Jesus shared, verse 15, all the things that he received from God with the apostles and he wanted them to share those things with us. 
as we looked at last week when we looked at the, at the order of worship and the order of authority. Notice Jesus chose His friends. They didn't choose Him. He chose them, didn't He? His friends were going to obey Him to be Jesus' friend. We must accept being chosen. We do so by loving God and in humility doing what He commanded us to do. And we share in the promises and the blessings promised by God to His children when we do so. To really love Jesus, to be His friend, we must obey and become a Christian and then help others become Christians. We add 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 to brotherly kindness. We add to that brotherly kindness, we add to that love, don't we? And to really love, you've got to want the best for your friends. There's the story of the boy. With one arm. He only had one arm. He came to a VBS class. And as he walked into the classroom in the first grade class, every child in the classroom looked at that little boy with the one arm. And the teacher, hoping that none of the children would say anything or make fun of the little boy, she, she quickly got everybody busy. I mean, they were busy, they were doing things, and, and none of the children made fun of him, and none of them said anything to the little boy, and, and he was doing the things too as best he could. She would help him out and make sure that, you know, he, he didn't have anything to where he would, he would feel bad for, and, and, and everything went perfect until the very end of class, and the teacher messed up. She messed up. She said, okay, everybody, Get your churches out. And she did that little song. You know, that little, that little song, that little, that little poem, that little rhyme. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open it up. And she looked up at the class. And every one of them, they weren't doing this. They were looking at that little boy with only one arm. And before she could say anything, this little girl walked over across the class. And she said, don't worry, teacher. I'll help him. And she joined her hand with his hand. And they made church. As a younger man, I did some things that God wasn't pleased with. Some things that I had to repent of. I've shown you this picture before. This is where I attended worship. This building doesn't exist anymore. This, con- this auditorium doesn't exist anymore. But I walked down front one Sunday morning, right there. I was sitting right there. And I asked for forgiveness. I asked for forgiveness from God. I asked for forgiveness from, from all those people there who knew what I had done, who knew what kind of life I was living. God was not pleased, and I knew it, and I repented. That night, that night, I was sitting right over here. I was sitting right there. I I can see myself sitting there right now. 
I was filled with apprehension. I was scared in a way. And I felt very lonely. Just that morning, I had asked God to forgive me. I had asked the whole congregation to forgive me. And yet that night, I sat in that spot, lonely. Until Lisa Littleton and Shannon Kearns, they're married now, have different names. But Lisa Littleton and Shannon Kearns, they came over to me right where I was sitting and they said, Hey, why don't you come sit with us? Church, I guarantee you, I would not be here today if it hadn't been for those two girls. For their love for me. For their friendship that they desired from me. That's the kind of friends we need to be. That's what makes the church strong. That's what makes the church grow. Godly friendships. You know, evangelism is really as simple as that. It's reaching out to someone. It's that simple. Everyone has a need. And it's Jesus Christ. And we can reach out to people who have this need. David Kinneman, in his book entitled Unchristian, What a New Age Generation Really Thinks About Christianity, he quotes a 22-year-old named Sean who says this, Christians are too concerned with converting people. They are insincere. All I ever hear is, get saved. I've tried the whole Jesus thing already. It didn't work for me before. I'm not interested now. Kinneman writes, The perception is that Christians are insincere and concerned only with converting others. And church, I make no apologies for wanting to convert as many souls as I can. I make no apology for that. I can give you the reason for that. I have multiple reasons for saying that, for making no apologies. But the main reason is because I've been commanded by Jesus Christ, whom I love and whom I'm a friend of and who's my friend, because I obey him. I've been commanded by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I am not commanded to be insincere. I'm not commanded to be insincere. Or not be ready to go the distance and cultivate a relationship to where they become my friend and I introduce them to my best friend, Jesus. Friendships must be based on honesty. They must be based on trust. They must be based on love. Don't be disingenuous. And you're trying to convert someone. Be up front and don't apologize. And be ready to foot the bill, foot the cost. It's a high cost. The price of friendship is high because it involves your most precious possession. It involves your most expensive possession. It involves your time. Because it takes time to make a friend. 
being a friend, not an acquaintance, but a good friend or even just a friend, takes time. And, you know, so many are just not willing to give the time that it takes. Kinnaman interviewed Stephen. Stephen was a 34-year-old who had moved from New York to Phoenix. During the interview, Stephen described his initial excitement when he met a peer in an unfamiliar city. A young guy approached me in a, in a subway station, this Stephen said, in a sub, subway station once, friendly, full of questions, interested in talking. He seemed really nice, and I couldn't believe a New Yorker was being, well, so nice. And we exchanged numbers and said that we'd hang out sometime. Next time I heard from him, he invited me to a Bible study, and that was all that he wanted to talk about. When I said, no thanks, I never heard from him again. We must be genuinely interested in people. But at the same time, we must be a friend to our best friend, Jesus Christ, and obey His will. And we can do this if, like Jesus, we love and we're humble and we remember to do what was required of us and choose to be a, a friend, a real friend to others. It's the easiest form of evangelism. Friendship evangelism is the easiest form. Just be a friend. As your friend, they will know what you stand for, and you won't have to hide behind some kind of a fake smile. Just be a friend, a real friend. Let them know who you are. Charles Allen said, you can make more friends in a month by being interested in them than you can make in 10 years by getting them to be interested in you. Be generally interested in somebody. Sonny Childs, a brother in Arkansas, he writes, the recipe for church growth is so simple that many have dismissed it as being too good to be true. He writes, Jesus taught it, the early church used it, and nearly every growing Christian since that time has done this, excuse me, nearly every growing congregation since that time has done the same. The best way to win souls and is to make friends. Make friends and then introduce them to your best friend, Jesus. It's really that simple. That's easy to do, can't, isn't it? We can everyone do that. Every one of us have, has somebody that we can choose. You know, you, you, you choose your friends. You have, to, you have to take your relatives, don't you? Right? You get to choose your friends, though, don't you? Every one of us can choose somebody to be a real friend to and then introduce them to your best friend, Jesus Christ. Move out of that acquaintance stage and into a friend stage. Jesus and the apostles, they give us wonderful examples in the New Testament. If you have your, if you have your bulletin, if you have your handout, there, there's a lot of these on the, on the back of the handout there. And uh, you, can, you can look at these a little more in depth. We won't go very, very in depth into these. But Jesus and the apostles, they give us wonderful examples in the New Testament, examples that we can use to reach out and be a good friend. Passages like Matthew chapter 11, verse 9, where Jesus was accused of being a friend 
of tax collectors and sinners. And as we spoke of a few weeks ago, a Christian must not participate in the, in the sin of partiality, should they? Matthew chapter 22, verse 12, in the parable of the wedding feast, a friend will point out your inconsistencies. Matthew chapter 26, verse 50, after the kiss of Judas in the garden, friends will recognize when they've been wrong. Mark chapter 5, verse 19, the healed demon-possessed man was told to go and tell his friends what the Lord had done for him. You know, if if a demon-possessed man can do that, we most certainly can go and tell others what Jesus did for each and every one of us. But, you know, first, you've got to understand what Jesus did for you. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Well, if you do, can you tell it to somebody else? Luke chapter 15, verse 6. Friends rejoice together when they, when they find the sheep that was lost or the coin that was lost, verse 9. Like Cornelius, as we've learned about in Acts class, in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, he made sure that his close friends came to hear about the Lord. Or like Paul's friends in Acts chapter 19, verse 31, they were trying to protect him when they, when they thought that he might get killed. And, and friends, they, they try to per- protect their friends when they might get hurt. When Paul was under house arrest, he was, he was permitted uh, to have friends provide for him and visit him in Acts chapter 24, verse 23. Friends help when there is trouble. In fact, the best soul-winning opportunities come when someone is faced with a difficulty and you're there to help them. Philemon 1, friends are, are fellow laborers. James chapter 4, verse 4, friends warn each other. 3 John 1, friends greet each other and they're nice to each other. You know, we've talked about that before, about being in the food line and you see one of your brothers or you see one of your friends, you don't duck down the aisle and try to get out of the way, do you? You say hi and you're nice and you smile and you greet them and you're warm and you're friendly. The light shines out of you and into the darkness. Sometimes, though, we learn from life like we've already read in John chapter 15, verse 13, that a friend will lay down their life for you. I want friends like that, don't you? I want friends like that. We learn also from life. We learn from the life of Jesus. Sometimes friends will betray you. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 21 verse 16, You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, Jesus told his disciples. You know, every one of Jesus' friends betrayed him. Every one of them. Not one of them. Not one of them stood with him while he was going through the trials. Not one of them stood with him while he was going through the beatings. Not one of them was hung on the cross with him. He was betrayed. He was betrayed by his friends and 
he gave the strong possibility that we would all, every one of us, be betrayed by ours. When this happens, when you're betrayed, who will you turn to? If you only have two real friends in this world, on average, Americans do. If you, if you only have two real friends in this world, I hope, and my prayer is, that one of them is Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done, and everybody's betrayed you, and you're all alone, if you've got Jesus Christ, you've got all you need. I hope Jesus Christ is your friend. Remember, we can be His friend if we obey Him. That's the only way to be Jesus' friend, if we obey Him. If Jesus is your friend, you have all the blessings. All the promises are yours. So my question is, is Jesus your friend, or is He just an acquaintance? I hope tonight I've introduced you to my best friend, Jesus Christ. I hope you'll make Him your best friend as well. Have you betrayed Jesus? You do that in many ways. By not obeying Him? By obeying Him, by, by obeying him and then falling away? Are you ready to be a real friend of His? Well, if you are, come forward right now. As together we stand.